All right, let's get into the Word then. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12. We're going to have it up for you on the screens as we usually do. Uh, when I read it, I will be reading it from the New King James Version. And so Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, all right? And so last week we started a series called Exploring Faith, and we said that faith is a, a subject that we hear a lot about, but that's, that, that it's an important subject in the life of a follower of Christ, and it never grows old, amen? The subject of faith never grows old because we said that faith is the currency of heaven, and God responds to faith every single time, amen? Like if you want to see God move, have faith. And if you need God to intervene in a certain situation, ask God to help first and then exercise your faith. Or if you want to be used by God in your life or in your ministry, grow in your faith. So listen, by exploring faith, I hope again that you'll see some examples in the Bible that will help you not only to understand faith a little bit more, but to live a life of faith in action daily because faith is action, amen? Listen, last week our focus was on the Gentile Canaan, Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed by a demon and we, knew that we read that that demon was tormenting her daughter severely. And as a mother, we, we uh, uh, related to her a little bit that, that she might have seen pain. She might have seen what her daughter was going through. And she literally and clearly wanted Jesus Christ to help her child. And it, it was uh, her desire was expressed by a faith that God favors. And so we basically learned that this woman, that God, that, that, that through this woman, that God favors a faith that is desperate for his help a faith that is determined to get God's response and a faith that is distinguished by God's approval. And listen, we don't say this often enough. Sometimes you are out, you are absent, uh, you're on vacation. If you ever miss a message or a, a, a sermon in a sermon series, you can always go uh, three places. The website, www.crosspointchurch.me, just like that. On there is uh, the history of all of our sermons. But weekly, you can also go to our, our public Facebook page, which is Cross Point Church and H. That's the public page. We almost only post the sermons on there. And then there is our private Facebook group, which is what? Uh, Cross Point Family. And so we know that that is for us in-house announcements and uh, all of those things. And so today, we're going to get into part two of Exploring Faith. And I think you're going to begin to see some similarities to last week and the lessons that we learn in today's text to teach us a little bit more about faith. And before, but before we do anything else, if you can, would you stand with us one more time as we pray and ask God to just help us to receive this word this morning. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to live and to walk by faith. We thank you, Lord, for even the challenges that we face in life that encourage us to grow in our faith. And God, for those times when we need you to intervene, when we need your help, when, Lord, nothing else has worked, but we really need you to intervene. And so, God, you, you ask us to, to call out in faith and to believe you for things. We thank you, Lord, 
for your promises. We thank you for the faith that you give us, a faith sometimes as small as a mustard seed that we are able to believe and we are able to trust and we are able to see you do great and mighty things. And so, Father, touch every life, touch every family. Uh, give us your word today. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So there's an old story about a tightrope walker who did incredible stunts all over Paris, France. In fact, he was known to, to do tightrope acts uh, uh, at tremendously scary high heights. First, we know that he would walk across the tightrope and, and then he would do it again blindfolded while pushing a wheelbarrow. Maybe you've seen or heard about that kind of crazy person before. Well, as the story goes, there was an American promoter who read about this uh, uh, tightrope walker in the newspapers, and he ended up writing a letter to the tightrope walk walker saying, Tightroper, I don't believe that you can actually do this dangerous act, but I'm willing to lay it all on the line. I will make you a generous offer for a very substantial sum of money, plus covering all of your transportation fees, I will challenge you to do your tightrope act over Niagara Falls in America. And so the tightrope walker, he, he wrote back and said, Sir, I'd love to come. I'll do this for you. And after a lot of promotion and setting the, the whole thing up, the whole uh, act in, in motion, a crowd of people on that very day came to watch this dangerous act, some expecting the, the man to fall from heights and, and fall to his death even. And the tightrope walker was, was to start on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls and walk blindfolded with a wheelbarrow over to the American side. And after a suspense... Uh, Spenceful drum roll, he came across blindfolded while pushing that wheelbarrow. And so, of course, the crowds went wild when they saw it. And then he came over to, to the promoter and said, Well, Mr. Promoter, now do you believe that I can do it? He said, What, what do you mean? Uh, of course, I just, I mean, I just saw you do it. Of course, you did it. No, said the tightroper. Do you really believe? I can do it. Of course I do. I just saw you do it. No, 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 said the tightrope walker. Do you believe I can do it? Now the promoter was kind of annoyed. It's like the same question over and over again. Uh, yes, I, I believe you can do it. Good, said the tightrope walker. Then come on in, jump in the wheelbarrow, and let's do it all over again. See, faith is something never to just be talked about casually. It's something that must be demonstrated by the way that we live, which is why we say faith is really an action. Paul Harvey, the famous Paul Harvey once said, if you don't live it, you don't really believe it. I want you to think about that. If you don't live it, you don't really believe believe it. And, and listen, that's so true because we know that in the book of Acts, it says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. It also says that faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. Our text in Mark chapter two, it illustrates faith in action for us today. 
I, I want us to read and study the whole story there, all 12 verses. And, but for now, I want to draw your attention to four short words in verse 5. So go, go to verse 5. Four short words. The Bible says that, uh, again, that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Say that with me this morning, one time. One more time, nice and loud. See, most people would say you can't really see faith or, or faith doesn't exist in this physical or visible realm. And the book of Hebrews even says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. I mean, you, you really can't see faith, uh, hope, can you? Or can you? I, I want you to note that Jesus said that he saw the faith of the four men in our story. In our text, because faith is more than just a belief. In fact, faith is an action, and Jesus saw their faith. Let's start out verses 1 and 2, Mark chapter 2. See what it says there. The Bible says again, he, speaking of Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Verse 2. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. What does that mean? There was a crowd. There was too many people. They couldn't get through. And we, it says that he, Jesus, preached the word to them. Let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, we're told that Jesus was in the house. At least that's what the New King James Version says. And listen, I love that phrase because things happen when Jesus is in the house. Amen? In, in fact, I, as a church, I want Jesus to be in this house. And, and I want Jesus Christ to be in my house, to work and to speak and to move freely and to touch my life and to touch your life. Again, because great things happen when Jesus is in the house. Most people would say that it was just a, a figure of speech in verse 1, meaning that Jesus was maybe like at a home or at home. In fact, that's the way the NIV, if you've got the NIV translation this morning, it translates that phrase that the people heard that he, speaking of Jesus, had come home. Yet we should know, of course, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and but he grew up in Nazareth, and, and we know that Capernaum and, and Nazareth are not far from each other. In fact, it's kind of like Dover and, and Rochester, and so Capernaum and Nazareth were like neighboring towns. We go to Luke's gospel, and Luke chapter 4, it tells us that when Jesus actually went back to Nazareth, where he grew up, after his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, he went back home. He was so thoroughly rejected by the people with whom he grew up with that he could not perform many miracles. The God of heaven and earth, the God of all creation could not perform many miracles in his own hometown of Nazareth. And so we know that he left Nazareth and actually made Capernaum uh, his home, and it was a, a fishing village by the Sea of Galilee. It was his home base for the three years of his public ministry. That is what we know. And, but what does it mean that this was his home? Maybe his mother and, her, and his brothers had also moved to Capernaum. Others have speculated that, that maybe this was Peter's house. 
there in Capernaum and, and Jesus stayed in a room with the family, with Peter and with Andrew. And, or maybe Jesus had his own place in Capernaum. Not one that he owned, but possibly one that it was made available to him for use anytime he needed it, regardless of what, what it was. When people found out that Jesus was in the house or at home, they came and they came and they kept on coming and they came to gather there. And although it was early in his early ministry, we know that Jesus was gaining popularity. I mean, think about it this morning. He was the man who was known to heal the sick. All over the place where he went, he spoke the word and things happened. What did he have to say, the people thought? I mean, keep in mind that life in Palestine was a, a little more public than what you and I are used to. Usually, if you lived in Palestine, the door was wide open in the morning and, and anyone was free to go in and out and that door was never shut unless there was a special need for privacy like we do today. And so doors were open. Before long, the crowd filled the house Again, they kept coming and coming and they overflowed into the street. You might see this in a third world country when they have church or revival services. The people sometimes, they just keep coming and coming. And I think it was at the fire last night, somebody mentioned uh, around the fire. We, uh, we were talking some deep thoughts around that fire and somebody said, it's not like us here in America. You know, when it's too full or when there's just only a couple more seats, we might leave and go. But in Africa and in these places where they're desperate, for God and they're hungry for God they come and they come and and they'll be outside and they'll be listening and and so it was like that in that day the people just kept on coming let's go to verse 3 in our text the story continues verse 3 of uh, of Mark there then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by how many men four men four men carried a paralytic and when they could not come hear him because of the crowd, so why couldn't they hear Jesus? I want, you to, I want to make sure you get this. Why couldn't they hear Jesus? There was too many people. They couldn't get in. There was too much of a crowd. They're, they're carrying a paralytic. They uncovered the roof where he was. So I'm sure they didn't start at the roof, right? What did they do? They're walking up to the house. There's all this crowd of people. They somehow got up to the roof. They broke through the roof. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Four men did this to their friends. And when Jesus saw their faith, that's verse 5, the key to it all, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you, not be healed first. Son, your sins are forgiven you. We talk about this on Wednesday night. Some of you come and you've got unsafe friends that, that they need healing in their body. Someone you know that you work with, they don't know Jesus. And sure, we pray for their healing, but most of the time, what do we do? We pray for their salvation. We pray for their soul. Jesus set that example. Son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak such blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Hello? But immediately, say immediately. Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? 
or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. There's that word again, immediately. Say immediately. Immediately. One more time, say immediately. Immediately Immediately he arose, he took up the bed, and he went out in the presence of them all, and so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Listen, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. Going back, I love picking apart scripture, doing word studies, checking out the phrases, looking to see what it meant in its context, to see what the culture had to offer. Uh, there, you know, we could learn about the, we could just focus in on the power of Jesus to forgive sins, and that's enough. That's powerful. But again, I want to draw your attention again to that phrase. Jesus saw their faith. See, while the crowd struggled to get closer to Jesus, these four men came bringing a paralyzed man, their friend. They brought him in on a stretcher. But check this out. Listen, a tourist wrote about a recent visit to modern-day Capernaum, and he said that his group included a couple of people in wheelchairs had noticed something. See, Capernaum is not an easy place to move around even today if you're disabled. The roads are not paved smoothly. Stairs and vertical rises make it difficult to get around and you really have to rely on others to help you travel if you can't walk. And listen, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of what was going on there that morning. It was just difficult to get to where they were going and when they got there, there was a crowd. There was too many people. How do they get their friend who's paralyzed to see Jesus? I'm talking about up close and personal. How do they do it? This was the challenge. And so they literally carried the man up on the roof, right? Listen, in Palestine, the roofs were flat. The the roofs were used for rest. They were used for quiet. They were used for drying clothes and for storing things. In 1 Kings, we read about Elijah living up on a roof. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is up on the roof praying. And so generally, there were stairs going up alongside the outside wall of the building leading up to the roof. According to some scholars, the roof was usually made with beams about three feet apart. These beams were filled in between with with twigs and they were packed with clay and they were covered with dirt. And and if that was the case, it wouldn't be too hard for these four men to begin digging between the beams and, and, you know, without doing major structural damage except to the roof. And then the paralyzed man, he was lowered safely, not dropped, He was lowered safely down to Jesus. And Jesus did what? He saw their faith. He saw their faith. And so he both healed and he forgave the paralytic. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're going to visit a famous rabbi who had a very large following and some degree of prominence, and if you wanted to treat the rabbi respectfully, as Jews are often taught to do, and you wanted him to heal your friend, 
wouldn't you try to make a good impression by treating him well? The last thing you want to do is tear up his house. It just doesn't make sense that you would destroy this rabbi's house and then ask him for a favor. Or, or you'd expect him to treat you, would you expect him to treat you well after you did that? And maybe that's it. Maybe because it doesn't make sense that Jesus was really able to see their faith. See, let me explain. These men, they must have heard Jesus talk about himself. How he said that the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which was lost. How he said that the shepherd would leave the 99 to go find the one that was lost. How he said that he was the physician who had come to heal the sick rather than the well. I'm sure that throughout his teaching in those early days, Jesus repeatedly made the point that it was the needy, it was the broken, it was the hurting, it was desperate people that were the very ones he came to earth. Those were the ones he focused his ministry on them. These men were crazy. They were crazy enough to believe him at his word. And Jesus saw their faith. They were boldly saying, we're going to trust you. And we, we, we came here. It doesn't matter about people. It doesn't matter about buildings. We're going to tear a hole in your roof and put before you one of the people that you said you came for. They actually believed the things that Jesus had said about himself. And then, and then they acted on those words. They were willing to go the extra mile. They were willing to do things for, for other people that would be uh, labeled questionable. I think that really shows us how we're supposed to experience the Christian life too. See, faith makes you look crazy sometimes to the world. They look and they're like, those crazy Christians... Why are they do why they're praying about that? Why are they, they just go to the doctors? Just just take care of it yourself. Just what are you praying for? Crazy faith. A faith willing to do some bold things. Let me ask you, is there anything bold about your faith this morning? Like in Genesis, we see that Jacob wrestled with an angel who was really nothing short of God himself. He wrestled all night and then he grabbed him and he held on to him and he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's a pretty bold thing to say to God. And yet boldness is a word that the Hebrew writer used to describe how we should approach God's throne room of grace. See, there's a boldness that comes by believing deeply, listen, that God really means what he says. Uh, I need to say that again. Somebody needs to catch that this morning. There's a boldness that comes into your life when you truly believe that God means what he says. He means what he says, not demanding or disrespecting him in any way, but boldness because we take his word seriously and we know who we are in Christ. You are a child of the king. That means something. You see, a hole in the roof was no problem for Jesus. People have always been and will always be 
more important to Jesus than buildings or rooms. He saw faith in action taken by these four men. More specifically, number one, Jesus saw four men who cared. He saw four men who cared. These were four men who were not thinking about themselves. They didn't need a special blessing from the Lord, but they had a friend who needed Jesus. They went to a lot of trouble to get him help. They knew he had a great need, and so clearly they cared about their friend. Someone once said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus set that example for us. There's a beautiful story in Matthew 11, verses 4 and 5, where John the Baptist was in prison and he heard some things of, uh, of Christ that Christ was doing and he sent two of his disciples to find out if Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, listen to the words of Jesus, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. This is my Jesus, and this is what happens when Jesus is in the house. Go tell John about a man who truly cares about people, who hurts when they hurt who's concerned about their needs. Listen, if you're here this morning and you have a hurt or a brokenness in your life and you are feeling like no one cares because maybe you haven't told anybody because maybe this morning all you have on your face is a smile. All you have before you is what people see. I want you to know, I've said it already several times, God sees you and he cares and people of faith care that way too. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just come to earth to preach a couple of sermons a week about how sinful people were and then to ascend back to heaven. It helps to know that our God is full of, a, of compassion, that he truly cares about us and our problems. And as the body of Christ today, we got to be people of faith who truly care. See, Paul wrote in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, care. Say care. care. Get involved in the lives of others. It's so easy. It's so easy to, to sit back, to get so wrapped up in our own lives and in our own problems and in our own things and in our own affairs that we really don't care to have time for anybody else. But faith, and caring, they go hand in hand. That means more than just expressing concern, too. That's where it starts, but it means actually helping people out with their problems and getting your hands dirty in people's lives. I know it's kind of cliche, but there's so much truth in it. You may be the answer to someone's prayer this morning. You may be the me. Yes, you. Faith and caring, they go hand in hand. Can you imagine these four men visiting their paralyzed friend and saying hello and talking about their plans for the week and all that they were going to do and then walking away saying, God bless you. 
We'll see you again next week. I wasn't, it's not in my, I wasn't going to say it, but how many times, how many times have we seen hurting people? How many times have we seen the broken? And we say, listen, this sounds very spiritual. We will pray for you and you will walk away fully knowing that you could have done something to change the situation. They say, oh, we serve a supernatural God. You know, they needed a few bucks. God wouldn't want me who has more than a few bucks to give them a few bucks. And, and so let God perform a miracle. You were the miracle. You had the means and you, you walked away thinking it was spiritual to just pray. God wants to use you. God wants you to care. That's faith in action. See, they didn't do that because they really cared. They showed that they cared by actually meeting his need. Faith in action, four of them. They carried him through the crowd. They carried him up those steps onto the roof, and then they safely lowered him down. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith actually save anyone? And what good is it if we say that our mission here at Crosspoint is to lead people to the cross if we do absolutely nothing that says that we care? It's why we do outreach. It's why this summer we, we gave over 200 backpacks away free of charge knowing that we wouldn't get anything in return, knowing that there would be a lot of work to do what we did. And yet God used it for his glory. Amen. That's why right now we're doing this fall food drive to try and help people with Thanksgiving baskets in, in our city. People who have need. It's so hard for us sometimes to comprehend that people right in our own community have needs such as food. Have needs such as basic things. And so caring about people only has real meaning when we're doing something about it. Words are what? Cheap. Words are cheap. See, Jesus saw four men with a faith that cared. We need to have that same kind of faith. We need to be people who, who care about one another, people who care about the physical and the spiritual needs of the world around us. And Jesus saw, so Jesus saw hey, four men that cared, and he saw four men who wanted to share Christ. These four men, they didn't take their paralyzed friend to a chariot race. They didn't take him down to the lake to go fishing. They really wanted to share Christ with him, and that made all of the difference in their life. And so the church needs to be a people with a faith that is anxious to share Christ like Andrew in the Bible. Andrew isn't one of the prominent apostles. We don't hardly talk about him. Not like James, John, or Peter, his brother, but every time you read about Andrew, He's bringing someone to Jesus Christ. See, he was the one that brought Peter to Christ. He was the one, the one who, who volunteered the boy's fish and loaves, brought him to Jesus for that miracle. He was the one that brought some Greeks with questions to Jesus. No, he's not recognized as a, a great apostle, but he shared Christ with everyone around him. And when you stop to think about it, what could be greater than sharing Christ? 
That's how we should feel. Acts 4.20 says, We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. They couldn't hold on to it. They had to share Jesus because they were so full of hope. We have that same Jesus today. The four men in our text, they were men in good health. They didn't need a special blessing from the Lord, and yet they brought someone to Jesus who did. That's what we should be doing as people of faith. So these four men, he, Jesus saw four men who cared. He saw four men who shared. And lastly, he saw four men who wouldn't give up. Who wouldn't give up. See, these four men, they brought their friend to Jesus. But when they got near the house, what did they see? The crowd. There was no room to get inside through the crowd. And, and so right away, they faced an obstacle. If you don't already know this, when God calls you to walk a walk of faith, the first thing you're going to face is an obstacle. This is, this is where we find out what you're made of. This is where God finds out if you really meant that testimony that you gave before the people, that you were going to do this and that. And now the test has come, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you a talker or are you a walker? Do the work of the Lord. Do what he has called you to do and don't give up. So the question is, if you had been there, what would you have done? Would you sit back and maybe wait for the crowd to leave? Would you say, you know what, let's just go back home. We're never going to get in. Not these four guys. See, if they had quit at that point, they would have, you know, actually had a good excuse, they, you know, or a reason to go home, but they weren't looking for an easy way out. God, if that person is still standing there, when I walk away and come back, I'll share Jesus with them that time. And so I'm going to walk away, God. But if, if they're there when I walk back, oh, they're, they're you know, um, oh, well, oh, may, well, maybe if they're wearing a hat when I come back, I'll share Jesus. And so you walk away and, oh, oh, man, they're wearing a Tennessee hat. Oh, man. I definitely have to share Jesus. It's amazing how many people are looking for excuses. A way to get out of doing something. A reason to be unfaithful to their Lord. These four men had, had a faith so great that it refused to die in the face of obstacles. They didn't want to quit. They couldn't bring themselves to, to say, we just can't do it. See, they were determined that nothing was going to stop them from seeing Jesus. Their friend was sick. Jesus had the power to heal, and they were able to do something about it. They were determined to bring their friend together to him at any cost to themselves. That's exactly what it takes sometimes, too, a cost. It cost them time to carry him to the house. It cost them effort to carry him up to the roof, up the stairs. It cost them trouble and possible punishment to tear up the roof and let their friend down. It caused them favor with the people on whose head the rubble and the mess from the roof fell on their heads and they were like, what is happening? Who are those crazy people out there? What are they doing tearing through the roof? It cost them the money to pay to fix the roof later. They were willing to do whatever it took. It probably 
increase their faith because difficulties test us. Challenges and difficulties, they will, they will cause your faith to grow. Some, some of you this morning, why? Why, God? Why again? Why is this coming again? There's always a reason. Nothing is wasted with God. Are you growing? Are you stretching? God is moving. They were willing to do whatever it took. Are you willing to do whatever it takes so that Jesus can see your faith? See, our failures as churches and as individuals generally lie not so much in our obstacles and the problems as they do in our lack of faith to persevere when things get hard. Like we've already decided what's, what's not going to work and who's not going to respond and what can't be done, and so we want to walk away. We'll say it won't do any good anyways. But until we put forth the effort, it won't be done. Faith is action. Action that we can't give on, up on so easily. Remember, we can do all things through Christ who gives us what? Amen. Worship team, would you come? He'll give you strength. He'll give you what? He'll give you strength. He'll give you ability. He'll give you boldness. So don't quit. Don't give up so easily. The obstacles will certainly come. Expect it. But faith is action. What more does God want you to do to trust him and watch him perform the miracle in your situation? Step out in faith. See, the Lord's work hasn't always been accomplished by talented people or intelligent people or strong people, but it has always been done by people who believe in the power of God and who have done what they could while relying on God to supply the rest. There were four men who refused to quit. Sure, there were some obstacles in the way, and there were probably some people who said it couldn't be done, but they wouldn't quit. And the Lord rewarded them. Jesus saw their faith. Let him see yours today. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you, God, for the opportunities that you give us to, to prove our faith, to walk this life out in faith. And so, Lord, God, forgive us for, for when we complain for the very thing that you have sent, for the very thing that you have allowed to come our way to test us, to grow us, to mature us. Help us not to quit. Help us not to walk away. Help us not to give in so easily. Jesus. You see our faith. Faith is a mustard seed. And it's your desire to see us use that faith for your honor and for your kingdom. Jesus, help us. Help us to be people that care. Help us to be people who want to share Jesus. Help us to be people who don't give up. In Jesus' name.
God's people said, amen. Let's close in worship.